let's go ahead and get started with today's podcast lecture. Now, normally I start with a review of everything that has been covered in the class thus far, but I'm not going to do that today. Today, I'm only going to review two concepts. Those two concepts are the concept of transference and the concept of the ego. Let's start with transference. So transference is this phenomenon that happens and we don't know when it's happening. It's an unconscious process. An unconscious process is a process that happens and we don't know that it's happening. We're totally unaware that it's happening. If we know that it's happening, it's not unconscious, right? So one of the things that I said when I originally talked about transference is if you're consciously thinking to yourself, this person reminds me of some other person who I know, or this relationship reminds me of this other relationship that I have. That's not transference. That's being reminded of another person or being reminded of another relationship. Transference happens in a different way. So I thought of a, I've been thinking about this over the past couple of days of how else could I explain transference and how else could I explain the ego? And one of the things that has kind of popped up in my mind is I could explain transference as a story that we tell ourselves about another person, but we don't ever actually like fact check the story. So if we uh, go on a job interview, for example, and we sit down with this, this person who's interviewing us, we will make a whole slew of assumptions about the person who is interviewing us. Uh, we will make assumptions about what it is that they want us to say, how it is that they might want us to say it, what is important to them, what is not important to them, so on and so forth. We'll do that. And that's an example of transference. In that example, the job interview example, what we're probably assuming is that the person who's interviewing us has the power to give us the thing that we want, a job. And we also assume that they will give us that job if we present ourselves to them in a way that they want us to. That's transference, right? The, there's That's the story that's being told. And we don't really think about that story. We don't ask ourselves, well, how how accurate is the story that I'm telling myself about the person who's interviewing me? We just sort of go with the story. And that's how transference operates. It is this slew of assumptions that we're making about the other person or other people who we're interacting with. And we're just kind of proceeding in the way that we interact with that person or those other people as if all of our assumptions are true. That is an example of transference. So hopefully that makes it a little bit more clear. It's a story that we tell ourselves about some other person or some other group of people and we don't even think to, to say to ourselves, huh, I wonder if all these assumptions I'm having about this other person, if they're right or wrong. We just, we just assume they're right and we just go with it. So that's transference. The next concept, the ego, as in the id, the ego, and the superego. The ego ends up being a really important part of that triumvirate, right? It's probably, if, if you ask people about the id, the ego, and the superego, in my experience, they tend to spend the most time talking about the ego. The ego has a whole kind of like sub-branch of psychoanalytic theory called ego psychology, which is very preoccupied with helping people develop stronger and more flexible egos. That's the whole point of ego psychology is to do that, to take someone's ego and to kind of like improve it in different ways, make the ego better at what the ego does which is, you know, managing a whole bunch of stuff. The ego 
is kind of like an air traffic controller. This is one of the ways, another way that I think you could explain it. So here's my attempt to review the ego. What I want you to do is imagine an air traffic controller. The air traffic controller sits in a tower, right? Has a radar in front of them. And the air traffic controller's job is to keep an eye on that radar and all the different blips on that radar. All those different blips on the radar are planes. The air traffic controller wants to make sure that the planes that need to take off get into the air, that the planes that need to come in for a landing get on the ground. And the air traffic controller wants to make sure that as that's happening, there's no planes like running into each other. And so the air traffic controller watches all the planes on the screen, makes sure that if there's a couple of planes circling, waiting to land, that they're circling at different heights so that they don't run into each other. It makes sure that the planes that have been on the ground like the longest, that they get into the air first. And it makes sure that the planes that have been in the air the longest and are kind of starting to run out of gas, that they get on the ground as quickly as possible. That's what the air traffic controller is doing. And that's a similar way to think about what your ego does. Uh, but instead of planes, it's a bunch of other stuff. So when we go through our lives, there's all sorts of things that are always happening. Um, so one thing that tends to be happening is that our, our body is digesting food. And uh, at a certain point, your body gets hungry. It's like, hey, give me more food. That'll be a blip on the radar for your ego. It's like, okay, there's something I need to manage. I need to manage this person's hunger, their hunger level. Now, if it's a low hunger level, it's like, oh, okay, I can let that circle around for a while, let that plane stay in the air. It's got plenty of gas, no, no problems. Maybe you have a headache too, right? Okay, that's another plane that, that pops up on the radar. You're hungry and you have a headache. Now, if the headache is a little headache, it's not a bad headache. It's like, okay, that one, that's another plane. It has a lot of gas. I can stay in the air. If, you start to, if your headache starts to get worse and worse and worse and gets to the point where it's like hard for you to do stuff like that you, you need to do, maybe it's hard to see, um, light is messing with you. It's really getting very painful. Okay. That, that plane is running out of gas. We need to get that plane on the ground. We need to find a way that we can deal with this headache. That's what the ego is doing. And I just gave you two examples there. The reality is that generally speaking at any given moment, there's a huge number of things that are demanding some type of energy, some type of attention from you and that your ego is managing all of that. And when it's working well, when your ego is strong and flexible, it's able to do a lot of things simultaneously. It's able to manage a lot of planes in the air. Now, the more planes that you have in the air, the more things that your ego has to manage, the less of the total available energy can go to each of those things. If you only have two things, you're not going to be stressed out at all because there's only two things for you to pay attention to. But if you have a lot of things, like if uh, you imagine you're, you're at um, an internship and there's a lot of teenagers and all the teenagers uh, or maybe you have to do like a group with them or something and say all the teenagers are all like freaking out and acting out in a different way. That's going to be a very stressful situation that's go and your ego is going to be trying to direct all sorts of energy into all sorts of different places, managing these teenagers, managing your own reaction to those teenagers. It's going to be a lot of work and there's not going to be a lot of energy available and the energy is going to be drawn out at a pretty rapid rate. And that makes it likely that you will have an episode where your your ego functioning kind of falters for a little bit and you you snap, you say something that you don't want to say or that you kind of don't mean, but you say it in the moment because you're angry or frustrated or something like that. That's the kind of stuff that happens with the ego. So hopefully that helps you understand the ego. I want to build onto that though and say that there's more to the ego than having it just be a system that manages where our energy goes. I also want to say that our ego, and I mentioned this in the previous podcast lecture, that our ego is kind of like our identity. One of the things that our ego is always doing, one of the planes that it's always trying to keep in the air is the way that we present ourselves to 
other people and kind of in a way, the way that we present ourselves to ourselves, our ego, I think we could say is constantly telling ourselves and other people a story. And that story is, this is who I am. This is the kind of person that I am. That's what the ego is doing and telling that story and maintaining that story, keeping up that, that act in a way is something which requires a pretty decent amount of energy all of the time. Again, if we have a lot of energy available to us, it's usually not a problem. We can behave ourselves. We can act appropriately. We can, we can do all that. But the more stressed out we get, the more problems that we have in our life that we're trying to deal with, the more difficult it is to maintain this act of socially appropriate person who doesn't do things like freak out and yell at people or say mean things or swear or whatever, right? That's the idea here. So uh, quick recap of my review here. Uh, transference is a story we tell ourselves about other people. Our ego is uh, both this thing, which is constantly man. It's like an air traffic controller managing where energy is going. It's going here. It's going there. It only has so much energy to work with. As long as there's enough energy in the system to d divide up, we don't have a problem. When there's more problems than there is energy, we do have a problem. And in addition to that, we could also think of the ego as a story or kind of as an act, uh, a way that we present ourselves to ourselves and the other and other people in the world. And what I mean by act is we, we act as if we are people who are well-adjusted, in control, uh, our emotions are not a problem, uh, we're not stressed out. We do this all the time, like just a, a simple example of it. If you've ever been uh, in a situation where maybe you were, you were, you weren't doing so good for some reason, you know, you, maybe you were stressed out because you had a lot of things that you needed to do and you didn't have enough time to do it. Maybe you had just gotten into an argument with somebody you weren't okay for some reason. It, and you, you went and you, you went to work or something like that. And one of your coworkers said to you, Hey, are you okay? Um, and it's funny when no one ever asks you, are you okay? If they haven't already decided that you're not okay. Right. So whenever anybody asks you that question or whenever you ask anybody else that question, it's already been decided that the person who you're saying, Hey, are you okay to that? They're not okay. But anyway, so imagine that happens to you. Somebody says, Hey, are you okay? Uh, your ego might kind of like kick on here and say something like, yeah, 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 I'm okay. I have, a, I just, you know, I had, a, didn't get enough sleep last night, but I'm, I'm good. Right. Essentially you're saying like, I'm, I am more okay, but inside you might not be okay at all right? Inside you're like, ah, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. But outside you don't let on as just how upset you might be. That's an example of your ego acting, putting on a, an act, telling a story to another person. This is who I am. All right. So that concludes my review for today. What I'm going to do now is we're going to do a little bit of transition music. And when we come back, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit more about how these two stories kind of play out in our lives in different ways. So in this section of the podcast lecture, what I really want to zero in on is the way that both transference and the ego act as stories or as fiction or as acts that we put on. If we take a look at all three of those words, story, act, fiction, what I think you might see is that there are three different words that describe a kind of common thing. So it, basically, a story or an act or a fiction is something that is made up and it is made up by a person. 
And what it does is it takes things and it presents those things in a way that makes sense. That's what it does. If you ever see an act, you know, maybe you see some weird performance art or something like that, and you think to yourself, that's weird, that doesn't make any sense, you know, that tends to turn people off. They, They tend to not be that into it. If you watch a movie or read a book or a short story or something, again, if it doesn't make a lot of sense, if things are being presented in a way that does not work, then you'll be like, what's what's going on here? This is this is weird. This doesn't make any sense at all. And you'll probably, you know, not finish the movie or you won't finish reading the book or whatever. You'll be like, this isn't worth my time and you'll, you're out. Um, so in all three of these things, what happens is whoever it is that crafts the fiction, whoever it is that puts on the act, whoever it is that's making or telling the story, they want to do it in a way that will make sense to other people. And I, I want to highlight that because here's the thing. Human beings actually are creatures that if you, you buy into psychoanalytic theory anyways, oftentimes we're experiencing things that don't make all that much sense. Uh, give you an example. If you've ever found yourself experiencing something in your life and you get really upset about it and you, you've thought to yourself, I shouldn't be this upset over this thing. That is an example, a small example of something happening in your life that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but it's happening, right? You are having the emotional reaction that you're having, even if it seems kind of like disproportionate for whatever it is that's causing it. In my clinical work, for example, I'll oftentimes have people come in and they'll have gone through like a a breakup and it's, and they say they feel like this breakup is just like wrecking them. It's hurting them so much, but they didn't even, they weren't dating the person who broke up with them for all that long. You know, they're like, it's weird. Like I, we were only together for like a month or, or three months, but I, I feel like, like so devastated by this breakup. It makes no sense. People will say those sorts of things a lot. Um, another time is like somebody might like lose their job and they're, they're really upset about that. And they come in and they tell me like, it's weird. I don't, I didn't even like my job that much. I kind of hated my job, but now that I don't have it, like I, I want it back. That doesn't make any sense. Why did, what's going on with me, right? These are things that don't make sense. So the point I'm trying to make here is that people are emotional creatures and emotions are things that a lot of times don't make sense. They don't follow logic. They don't follow rules. They're, they're emotions. Now, we, we be that as it may, I think that what people a lot of times do is they attempt to just sort of like think about something and sort of uh, force whatever doesn't make sense to make sense. And it usually doesn't work. It, 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 you can try a lot, but I don't. a lot of times people don't have a whole lot of luck with that. I'm going to give you an example of this, uh, another clinical example, and this is from many, many years ago. So this would have been... God, I don't even remember what year it is at this point, but a long time ago, I was working with somebody who was a combat veteran and they were telling me, they, they'd been to, they came to me on a recommendation of somebody and because they heard that I do the psychoanalytic thing and they hadn't tried that. And they'd gone to a bunch of other therapists and the other therapists they'd gone to hadn't really been that helpful for them. So I met with this veteran and the veteran told me uh, the, that, you know, they had been in combat and one of the things that they had, had done is they were responsible for driving vehicles down roads in Iraq and they'd seen, you know, IEDs go off and, you know, cars get blown up and they were having PTSD symptoms as a result of this. But here they were now no longer in Iraq. They were living in 
um, uh, I'm, they didn't live in this town, but I'm going to use this town for the example. Let's say they were living in Naperville, Illinois, and they'd find themselves doing something like driving down Route 59. And it, it, they, you know, logically in their head, they knew and believed that Route 59 was a road that did not have any IEDs along it, that no cars were going to get blown up on Route 59. And yet, even though logically they knew that and understood that and believed that, their body was having this terrible, awful stress reaction to driving down Route 59. It was as if an IED was going to, to blow up. So I'd gone to these different therapists and they'd explained the situation. And some therapists had been like, okay, let's do some, like, thought, look at your thoughts and these, the, look, it's an irrational thing. Um, you're having these irrational thoughts. You're having these irrational things. And the, the veteran was saying like to the therapists who were saying that to them, yes, I know that. I agree with you completely, 100% agree with you. I am very aware that my thought, my, my emotion is a totally irrational thing. I, I know that. But even though I know that it's irrational, it doesn't stop it from happening. It keeps happening anyway. And there's, and I want it to stop. I don't know how to stop it. Like just telling myself, this is irrational. This doesn't make sense. This is illogical. That doesn't help at all. And, and you can tell me that and I can tell me that and other people can tell me that. And it, it doesn't matter because I'm having this illogical, irrational, nonsensical reaction to something and, and I can't seem to make it stop. So the reason I, I share this story is to illustrate to you in a, in a way that will hopefully make sense to you that we all want our story that we tell ourselves about ourselves, the story that we tell ourselves to other people. We all want that story to make sense. When somebody presents themselves to us, like if you are meeting somebody for the first time, you might you know, ask them a version of, hey, tell me your story. And that takes all sorts of different forms. You might say to the person, so what do you, what do, you do? How do you know this person who we know in common? You're essentially saying to the person, tell me your story and maybe I'll tell you mine. And what you're, you're going to want in those sorts of social situations is for the story to make sense. Another way I could say this is that whenever you're in a social situation with somebody, you want to act appropriately. You want to act in a way that is logical and makes sense to yourself and to the other person. Um, if you fail to do that, you usually feel embarrassed or kind of bad about it. If somebody else doesn't do that, they usually feel embarrassed or kind of bad about it. We, we all always want this to happen. Be that as it may, um, the story that we're telling ourselves is not who we really are. The act that we're putting on for ourselves and for other people is not accurate. The, they're filled with embellishments. They're, they're filled with errors. Whenever we're interacting with somebody, whenever somebody's interacting with us, what we're doing is we're, we're constantly watching how we're behaving and watching how the other person is behaving. And as long as there's no errors in the story, as long as there's no weirdness in the act, then everything kind of proceeds normally. When we do perceive an error, when somebody does something kind of weird or when we do something kind of weird, we go into error detection and correction mode. We're like, oh, I, I'm sorry, I, uh, I made a mistake and we try to correct whatever mistake we made. But what psychoanalysis and, and, and psychoanalytic theory suggests is that the mistakes are actually a lot more representative of who we really are, of how we really feel, of what's really going on with us than the act is. Now, it doesn't want to say that the act or that the story is an unimportant thing. Uh, the, the ego, the, the transference, these stories that we're constantly telling ourselves about ourselves and other people, they matter. They're super important because 
They're the sorts of things that allow for life to proceed in a way that largely makes sense and, and is predictable and safe and secure and comfortable and all that. So they are important things. So please understand that. They're important. Don't think that they're unimportant. But also, don't assume that they're honest because they're not. Uh, at least that's what psychoanalytic theory would suggest, that they're not really all that honest. That underneath the act of being a well-put-together, emotionally stable, well-balanced kind of person, underneath that, for you, for me, for all the people we know, is a kind of emotional wreck. Uh, somebody who wants more things than they can have, somebody who gets upset about things that they probably shouldn't get upset about, somebody who gets jealous, who acts in petty ways, so on, that all of that, that gets covered over in the story, that gets tried, we try to edit it out of the story, that all of that stuff is actually there and that it's actually real stuff. So why am I harping on this so much? Well, if you engage in a form of psychoanalytic therapy with a person, one of the, the things that might happen is they'll come in and they'll start talking to you. You'll start listening to them. You, they will put on their act for you. They'll be, this is the kind of person I am. And you will witness that act, you know? And what you could do is you could try to only tune into the act itself, into the, the things that the person does that makes them look and appear as if they don't have problems. It makes them look and appear as if they're well-adjusted. You could do that. But what psychoanalysis does is it tries to tune in to all of the stuff in the story that seems weird. It tries to tune into the stuff that doesn't make sense. That's the important stuff. And it tries to highlight those things. It tries to draw the person's attention, the patient's attention, to the things in their narrative and to the, in the way that they present themselves that are off, the things that don't make sense. And says, hey, look at this. This thing that you just said or this thing that you just did, it's inconsistent. It doesn't make sense in some way. I want to call your attention to that. And the reason that psychoanalytic therapy does this is that it believes that the reason that people come to therapy is not to talk about the things that make sense or to you know, show off how well-adjusted they are. The reason they come to therapy is because they have some kind of a real problem in their lives that they're attempting to cover over with their ego, with these stories that they tell themselves. And that trying to cover it over just isn't working. And that what would perhaps work better is actually trying to deal with, contend with, understand, look at whatever it is that isn't going right in our lives. So here's the last thing that I'm going to try to do to communicate this idea that I'm trying to communicate here is I'm going to make a comparison between this story that we tell ourselves about ourselves, our ego, right? The, the act that we put on for ourselves and for other people in the world and something else that many of you, I assume, will be at least somewhat familiar with. And that is this thing that people sometimes use called Instagram. Here's my claim. If you take a look at a person's Instagram page, profile, whatever it is that that thing's called, what you'll see is a whole bunch of images that that person has taken the time to create and curate. And what I mean by that is, is, I mean, this isn't everybody, but I think a lot of people, what they do is they look for something that they can take a picture of. They try to put themselves in that image. 
Um, they put some thought into how they are going to appear in that image. Um, they, they pose in a way that they think will look good. Uh, they filter the image, they edit the image, and then eventually they post the image. And what you see is this rather processed version of what the person kind of like maybe wants you to see, but that is not represent. There's so much, uh, other stuff that's not seen in that image, which is also really important. Uh, psychoanalysis is this thing that would be more interested in all the stuff that kind of got edited out of the image that maybe was just off the frame, like outside of the frame. Maybe some of the stuff that got uh, turned down because of filtering or that sort of stuff. It's not as interested in the what the person was trying to present in the image. I mean, it, it people will do that, right? I mean, in when they come in for therapy, they tell you things. That is my claim here is that that is very what they said, what they tell you is very similar to the way that people present themselves in Instagram pictures, i.e. it's not 100% honest. It's a, it's, it's an attempt to look a certain way and that makes it at least a little bit disingenuous and that's okay. It's okay to present ourselves in disingenuous ways. None of us go through life just kind of being who we are all the time. Nobody goes through life being 100% authentic 100% of the time. Now, people might think they do that, but psychoanalytic theory would suggest that that is not true. Totally wrong. There are some people who might be a little bit more authentic and people who are a little bit less authentic, but nobody, nobody, nobody is 100% authentic 100% of the time. So when you're listening to somebody in a psychoanalytic way, when you're looking at an Instagram picture in a psychoanalytic way, you're not as interested in what it is that the person is attempting to say, what kind of image it is that they are attempting to put forward. You see that, you hear that, you witness that. But what you're really interested in, what psychoanalysts are really interested in, is the stuff that that story is in a way kind of trying to cover over or keep hidden. That's the stuff that's really important. So hopefully that made sense as I said it. Um, if it didn't, I apologize that it didn't. Ask me about it when we meet as a class. Uh, and that's it. So thanks for listening to this podcast lecture. Appreciate your time. Uh, till I see you next, please don't let the man keep you down um, and make some glorious mistakes. I'll see you soon. Bye.